This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. My name is Pastor Tonder. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege and an honor to be able to share the word with you. Uh, We've been going through this altars series, which has been phenomenal. Would you agree with me? It has just been phenomenal. But it's been building up to what I'm about to share with you today. We started off with the altar of the heart, and then we went to the altar of the home, and then the altar of the church. And now we're about to talk about the altar of the community. Because, again, there's a responsibility that is placed on us as a church within the communities in which God has placed us. So we're going to glean a little bit on that. There are some toes that are going to be stepped on, but it is not going to be an ouch. It's just going to be a move out of the way and move where you need to move to, right? So it's not an ouch. It's a, whoa, I got to just move because if I stay here, the pressure of remaining the same is not going to give us the results that God intends for our communities. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we find ourselves here again. Desiring your presence and desiring your heart. We're here not because we seek the agendas of men. As we have learned recently, and as we walk through those doors, as we come here, it is you and it's all about you. So my heart and desire this morning is that God, you would just take over every part of me. And let your word come out with clarity. That, Father, we can hear your heart. That every word that I speak that just comes from men, let it fall away and yield nothing. But what comes from your throne, what comes from the depths of your heart, may it arrest us. May we ponder, may we muse on these words that we would grow into what you have called us to. It is in this moment, in this time, I need you, Father. Take over as we break bread this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, recent events in the world has had people stop. It just kind of brings the world to a stop and a grind. Because of the nature of the things that the world is facing today. Even earlier on in the year, when things will also happen and the world stops. And what often happens with leaders of nations is that they go into their conference rooms or into their political halls and they begin to debate. They begin to discuss what is the way forward? What are we supposed to do? How do we fix this? Some advancing their own personal political agendas because of what is happening in the world. Seeing it as an opportunity to front whatever it is that they feel is the way to go. There's blame going around. What's happening because of this guy or these people? It's happening because we didn't do this enough or we need to do more of that. And there's a big discussion and debates that are happening which in my estimation yields very little to no solutions. But we as the church do not need a cataclysmic event for us to know what is happening within our communities and our world. We did not need for there to be some big event for us to see that our world is hurting, that things are not in the place that it should be. But our response cannot be the same as that of the world where we come and we have a theological debate As to how do we translate this theologically, how do we understand this in a a philosophical way, our response needs to be in direct relation with what the Lord Jesus Christ called us to do as the church. We're talking about building altars within our community and we have to understand that the altar of the community lies within the church. It leads us to this understanding in order to understand and fully appreciate the call and responsibility of the church, we need to see that the church is an extension of the kingdom of God here on earth. 
the word church is first introduced in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And Jesus says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So he declares that on this revelation of his deity and position as the Messiah and Christ to the world, he will build his church. The word church is not a, is not a holy word. The word church in the Greek is the word ecclesia. And in the Roman, the Romans had an ecclesia. Ecclesia means sent out or called out once. So the Romans had an ecclesia. And the ecclesia was an arm of the government that was sent to help the governor to achieve Rome's policies. That was an ecclesia. So Rome is over here. But Rome had taken over massive parts of the world. And in each part that they had taken over, there was an ecclesia. And that ecclesia was there to institute the policies that Rome had put in place for that particular region. And so heaven, as we know, is, is where God is. God is in a geographical position in heaven. But he has sent his ecclesia to be his representatives here on earth to carry out the mandate and the call of heaven so we then carry the kingdom of God within our hearts and we have a mandate we have a responsibility and a job and that job is to the communities to which we have been sent Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 to 11 his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Each region and community has principalities, spiritual forces that are ruling over that particular place. And you and I have been given the manifold wisdom of God to be able to stand and speak to that principality. To say no more. We do not accept the things that are happening within this community. We speak to it with authority because we come in the authority of Jesus Christ. We are the ecclesia taking up our position to say no more in Oklahoma City. No more in Edmond. We will say that it is only the Lord Jesus who will reign within our community. We speak to those principalities. Daniel, when he was praying, he was told that the reason that you have not got your answer in time is because the prince of Persia is controlling this region. But he eventually gets his answer. We are under a better covenant than Daniel where we can stand by the blood of the Lamb as the ecclesia of God and declare to the principalities. No more abortion in our land. No more drug addictions in our land. We talk a lot about revival. What do you see? What do you see when you see revival? Do you see this house packed with people? Do you see this house with lines of people just trying to get in? Because something amazing has happened within our church. Let me tell you what a true revival is. It is that, but it also affects the city. It also changes the city. It changes the heart of the people within the city. Where they begin to see the goodness of God. Where we eradicate things like poverty and hunger. Where people come together as one. That's revival. Not only for us to be excited and have goosebumps of the presence of God, which is great. But it is to change. The hearts of people within our community. Saints, we have a unique position as the heavenly representation within the communities in which we have been placed. And our responsibility is to demonstrate the values, principles, and morals of the kingdom we represent. That's the job. That's the call. There, there's the call. You, you, you got one. From altars, altars in our heart, altars in our home, altars in the church to establish altars. From altars 
establishing altars. You know, <laughs> we're teaching an equipped class. And, and, and it's one of the things that we talked about, and I, I just want you to hear this. If you look in Acts chapter 2, and you look at the framework of how the kingdom is expanding, it fascinates me. Because I think sometimes, I think we, 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 we have lost how the translation of the kingdom actually grows. And in Acts chapter 2, you will find that they went to the temple. They listened to the doctrines of the apostles. But once they listened to the doctrines of the apostles, they bring it to the house. They bring it to the home. And then they break bread. They have fellowship one with another. And the Bible says, then the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved and we assume that salvation is only going to happen when we bring people into this church but that's not what God is saying God is saying salvation is happening within your homes within my home when we take what we're learning here at New Song and we put it within our homes and we open our homes to people that know, that know Jesus and they come in and they see that we're living a life that is separated to God they get interested in what God is doing they receive Jesus and then they come to church and we grow the church that way so the church is not grown because we're just having evangelism programs the church is grown because you and I take the responsibility that this altar needs to go into the community and as we take it into the community we bring people in and then the church grows but we've put that responsibility on church leadership and church pastors and we've said come up with an evangelism program why does a new song have an evangelism program why don't they Man, we need to have evangelism. Have it in your home. Because the word church, when you read in Acts chapter 2, is not new song church. It's church. It's ecclesia. That's what it is. So to grow the ecclesia is not because the pastor is doing something. It's because we're doing something in our home. And that's how we begin to build altars in our community. Here's the job. The pastors, the teachers, the prophets within the church are there for the edification and the equipping of the saints to good works. So when you come here and you're listening to the messages and the words that you're being given, it's for your edification. That means you're built up, you are encouraged, but you're also equipped and taught how to do the good work. That's the job here. It's exactly the same as what we talk about when we talk about kids. That the job is not for the people in there that are teaching your kids. They're coming together alongside with you. It's the same. It's the same here. It's just your edification. So you go out there and build altars within the community because of what is happening within our communities. Our land is hurting. Filled with division. Hate, apathy, dissent, ungodliness on a massive scale. People are bound, living in deception of their identities. People don't know who they are. People don't know what they are. Confused. People are lonely, depressed. And I have a message. I have a message from them. You know what they're saying? When they argue with you. That yeah, I can be a woman or a man or an animal. I can be whatever I choose to be. Do you know what they're saying to you? It's a screaming. It's a shout. And I'm here to tell you what that message is. The message is this. People need the Lord. When someone is in an opioid addiction... Or somebody's running through abortion. Instead of looking at them with disdain, disgust, and hate. They're crying out to you saying, I need the Lord. I need the Lord. Instead of looking and saying, I'm about to hit that thing on Facebook. I'm sick and tired of all these people coming over here and talking about this nonsense. Talking about I'm gay. Talking about this. Talking about that. I'm sick and tired of it. Post. <laughs> what they're actually saying to you is, I need the Lord. And you're saying, no, I'm going to keep the Lord behind me. What I'm going to give you is my opinion, though. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how it is. And we keep the Lord in the back of our pockets. But yet what they're screaming to you in our community is, people need the Lord. 
That's what they're saying. Every time you see all this stuff, instead of saying, man, those, those, those liberals or those conservatives, keep it balanced. <laughs> they're just screaming out to you, I need, I need Jesus. But then question churches, will you be his ecclesia? And declare what he declared upon this rock. What's the rock? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Will you make that declaration to the world? Will you make that declaration to our communities? You see, here's the thing. When our communities are in disarray, when they're in the places that they're in, you do know that God doesn't speak to the community. He doesn't. He speaks to the church. Second Chronicles 7.14. Most of us know this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. He doesn't go to the community. He's not jumping in on Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp or whatever the other one is. He's not jumping on there and saying, I got to give them my opinion, tell them what's up. He's coming to you and me and saying, hey, if, if you would humble yourself, recognize that the only reason you're not where anybody else is is not because of your own efforts and work. It's because of what I've done on the cross. But will you be my ecclesia? Will you be my ecclesia within our community? Will you see the hurt and the pain and be my ecclesia? That's what he does. He talks to you and I. That means the responsibility of our communities, the responsibility of our nation. Is ours. The state of our communities is in direct relation to the health of the church. So if you're mad at what it is like in the nation today, you're mad at yourself. If you're mad the state of Oklahoma, you're mad at yourself. If you're mad at Oklahoma City or Edmond the way it is, you're mad at yourself. Because the state of where we are at is in direct relation to the health of the church. Because we are called into the community and not away from it. I'm going to read some scriptures today. Okay? I have 11 verses. Will you survive with me? 11. Okay. This is going to be quite a bit of reading. Okay? Are you ready? Okay. We're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 1. And verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Kislev, in the 12, 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God. You who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. That you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now. Day and night. For the children of Israel, your servants. And confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. 
We have acted very corruptly against you, and we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and, your strong, and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was cup bearer to the king, for I was the king's cup bearer. Anytime Israel was in distress, anytime things came against Israel, the leaders knew to run to an altar. The people knew to run to the altar of God. And we find Nehemiah doing exactly the same thing, running to the altar of God. He runs because the broken walls, you must understand this is not a construction issue. This is not all the pipes have loosened up and they just need to be tightened. This is not a let's call the engineer and just see if the foundation just needs a little bit of tweaking so that things become stronger. This is not a building project. What is happening is a distress of the city. The image of the city has been toned down. The pride of the city has been taken away. The city is in shame. The city is in ruin. When you look at the city, there's nothing magnificent to say about it because of the state and the situation it finds itself. And so when Nehemiah hears this, the Bible says that his heart is torn and that he begins to weep. Because he has not become calloused to the situation that happens within his city. And the first thing that he does is that he goes to the altar of God. What is it that breaks your heart about our city? Or have we become so far removed from it that when we hear about it, it's a problem over there and not over here. And so our hearts are not torn. But then we come and we sing the song, break my heart for what breaks yours. What do we think we mean when we sing that song? Is it to say, help me so I can kneel better in church. Help me so my hands can raise a little straighter. What is it that breaks his heart? Nehemiah understood this. His first response was not to pick up the phone. And dial Brandon. Hey, yo, Brandon, they done it again, don't people. So stupid. They just break down the walls all the time, making the city look bad. Terrible. You know what? I'm going to paste lilac on my Facebook. That ought to fix it. He doesn't pick up the phone. He doesn't, we got to protest this thing. What time's lunch? Are you going to be here tomorrow? Oh, you got a thing? Yeah, I got a thing too. All right, let's break it up. So that's not the first response. The first response is to go. Because there is one. The altar is where people went and met God to get instructions for the city, for the state, for the nation. That's where the altar is for. So what I want us to do, if you're okay, we've read 11 verses and we survived. Praise the Lord. I've got 11 points. Okay? Think you can survive that too? Okay. Let's do this. Right? 
So how do we create altars within our community? How does this take place? How does this happen? Gleaning from what we have read here. Number one, fix the broken altars or walls of the church. Okay? What do I mean by that? Listen to Pastor Sarah's message last week, full stop. Point number two. Run to the altar for what concerns our community. Run to the altar for what concerns our community. Before we go into freak out mode at what is happening, try running to the altar of God first and cry out to the Lord to let him give you instructions. So the, the, the first ones I'm giving you, these are spiritual responses. Spiritual responses. In Zimbabwe, when things went south, and they really did, one day we're waking up, everything is great. The next morning, the economy is tanking. What used to be a pride of the nation, the Zimbabwean dollar is tanking. And if you know any of this history, we ended up having a loaf of bread costing a trillion dollars because the economy was tanking. Murders were happening within the land as people in power decided that the best way to fix this was just to take land away from people and give it to others. And the nation was in disarray. And what we did as a church, we started opening up our churches and we started having all night prayers. All night People would come to the church at 6 o'clock and they would weep and cry before the Lord until 6 in the morning. And it would happen, not just in one church, but in several churches, crying out to the Lord because we understood that it needed a spiritual response. And I am strongly, I strongly believe that the hand of the Lord stayed the damage that would have happened if it hadn't been for the church taking that position. Because we understood that the answer never lies with us. And the Bible says we're dead. Did, did, did you know that? We're dead. I've been crucified with Christ. It is I that no longer lives. You're dead. We don't need dead men's opinions. We don't need dead men's solutions. But the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's who I need. The Son of God. And so if you're faced with a circumstance, the moment you are riled up, the moment you feel that the first thing I need to do is to tell somebody how terrible it is, go tell God. That's being on his altar. But you tell him because you're weeping, because it hurts you, because it hurts him. That's the second response. Run to the altar. Number three, recognize that staying away from sinners does not absolve us from a response to sin. I don't know what has happened within time where we felt the longer we stay away from these sinful places, the holier we are. That we need to be protected from evil. Keep it away from me, away from my house. We're making our churches tighter and smaller so that we don't associate with evil and with bad. Because I don't want my children to be contaminated by this stuff. I was going to use another word, but we're in church. I don't want my children messed up. I don't want to be messed up. Let's, let's, let's remove ourselves further and further away from evil that we may remain righteous. But the problem is you're just as sinful as the world. That's what Isaiah said. He said, woe unto me. For I am a man of unclean lips. Why? Because I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. So the problem out there is not an out there problem. It's an in here problem. And the last time I checked, the Bible says that the darkness cannot overcome the light. It only gets darker when we shrink ourselves and move ourselves from the world. It only gets darker because we're removing the light. God is looking for an ecclesia that can stand to the heavenly places and say, I'm sick and tired of evil. I'm not going to run from it. I'm going to stand and I'm going to say, it shall not be anymore. And you can say, well, Pastor Tondera, you're just an emotive, emotional kind of guy. I'm not like that. Oh, 
be like Hannah. The Bible says Hannah's lips didn't move, but the anguish in her spirit, the hurt in her heart was present. Her lips did not move that Eli thought she was drunk because the thing that was in her heart was so deep. Let it be deep for you. It doesn't matter how you do it. You don't have to be emotive like me. I was just created that way. But it has to hurt you that you're ready and able to stand. Having girded yourself with the armor of God, what do you do? You stand. You don't go, okay, let's move away from this. Take them kids out of the public school. Take them kids out of the movie. Take everybody out of everything. Don't go to Target no more. Don't go to Walmart no more. Let's create our own little shops that are holy. <laughs> holy food. That's what we want. Holy little places. Mean tide. And then when they enter that one, shut it down, build another one on the corner. It's better. So we do. But we are the ecclesia. There's no other place that he's going but to us. To build an altar within our community. So separating ourselves is not the answer. We got to face it head on. Number four. Get to the table of incense. Get to the table of incense. I'm going to explain what that means. I might be a bit animative, but you're going to be okay. I know I don't usually get animated, but. <laughs> Pastor Sarah talked about the tabernacle a little bit. I want to talk to you about the tabernacle to teach you the way to pray. The tabernacle is made of an outer court. So there's a courtyard. Inside the courtyard is called the inner court. The inner court is divided into two rooms. A holy place and a most holy place. Or the holy of holies, if you like. And the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark of the Covenant, there were two angels that looked at each other, but they faced down. And the Bible says, from between those angels, God would speak. So the job here is to get to the Holy of Holies because you want to hear the voice of God. But to get there, you have to go through a process. The first thing is you enter into the gates of the courtyard. And the Bible says, I will enter his gates with and his courts with. So you get in. The first thing that you see is called the brazen altar. Here is where they sacrifice the animals. So they will take your sheep. The one that you've raised and tendered looks spotless and clean and magnificent. And that sheep, they would take it, put it on the altar, and they'll slit its throat. And blood would be spilt. And then they would burn it. The next thing was the laver. The laver was like water where you could see your reflection, but you could also cleanse. Then, after that, you can get into the holy place where there were three artifacts. There was the menorah or the seven golden lampstand. There was also the table of showbread. And then there was the table of incense. The table of incense and the brazen altar are exactly the same. One is smaller. The other one is bigger. So when you pray, the first thing you encounter is you encounter the brazen altar. Because this is the place that the flesh has to die. Because flesh cannot go any further. It cannot go into that most holy place. It has to die over here. So this is when you begin to pray. You begin to pray and you pray in your flesh. You pray with your mind. And you know that you're praying in your mind when your prayers seem to not be going anywhere. And you're just praying and it seems like nothing is happening. Or you're filled with guilt and shame. You're filled with sorrow. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're doing. It seems like your prayers are not fervent. It seems like your prayers mean nothing. The problem with us is once we stop at that brazen altar, we turn around and go out. Because it feels like it's so difficult. 
How difficult was it to watch the lamb that you have raised, a lamb that you have watched, that you have tendered, to be slain right in front of you. But you had to face that. You have to let your flesh die. And the only way you can do that is to keep pressing. You've got to keep pressing. You've got to keep praying. You've got to keep seeking the word, the, the, the word of the Lord. You've got to keep seeking God. Because when you break through, you get to the laver. And when you get to the laver, the word of the Lord begins to make sense in your mind. And it cleanses you. It cleans you, but it also reflects and shows you your state the position that you are in and with that word you're able to get into that next place and you go to the table of incense and your prayers are different when you are praying in the flesh because now you pray in the spirit and you pray because you now know who God is and that is what Nehemiah does he says you are the God who does this you are the God who forgives that remember your own covenant that you said because he's at the table of incense the problem is as a church we stay right here and we get out and we don't press in in an effort to get you to pray, we as a church have said, pray five minutes a day. At least start something. And you've remained at five minutes. Problem is the flesh doesn't die in five. The reason why you say prayers don't work is because you stay here. Flesh does not delight in the presence of God. praying but I got pizza on my mind I'm praying I'm trying to figure out what happened in the last episode of Grey's Anatomy I'm praying I'm wondering where that guy got his outfit I'm praying I'm tired no magic here you have to press through I don't have little nuggets and points and things to give you to make it happen you have to press through you have to keep going you pace around you sit down you kneel you do whatever you keep praying and all of a sudden there's a breakthrough that happens and then when you get to that table of incense your prayers change you begin to call on a God that you know you begin to call on a God that you know has a heart and a desire for you you begin to call on a God that you know has a desire for your city that his heart breaks deeper for the things that you think are hurting you they break him deeper so you don't beg anymore you make declarations with confidence because you are now praying in spirit because it's spirit calling unto spirit get past the brazen altar once you get there i'm telling you it'll change your prayers you will not be stopped by what your flesh is doing stopping you and your prayers seem like they're bouncing off of the ceiling just remember giving you the image oh i'm at the brazen altar that's why i gotta press when you get there you will pray for the city you will pray for the state you will pray for the nation you will pray for the world the next points i have are practical Zimbabwe had a spiritual response to its situation, but we did not have a practical one. America has a practical response to everything, but not a spiritual one. The two have to come together. So point number five, use your gifts and positions to advance the kingdom mandate. Nehemiah says, I was cupbearer. To the king, he used that position to be able to advance the kingdom mandate. We have people that went on a medical mission trip with us. They used their gifts to be able to advance the kingdom mandate. For people that have gone on a mission trip that are in construction, they do this for a living. But they spare their gifts and they go to somewhere else. Or go to somebody else's home, help them with their stuff, expecting nothing in return. Using their gifts to help somebody in need. Use your gifts to help somebody else in need. If you're a lawyer, use that to help somebody in need. If you're an, a carpenter, 
if you're a doctor, if it, whatever it is, whatever profession, because then we have seemed to restrict gifts to just he can preach or she can teach or he can uh, uh, lead children. or uh, That's not just it. The vastness of the gifts that God has given us is so big and so vast. And the reason why you're good at what you do is because God invested in you and put that in you. Don't use it just to create wealth. Use it to advance the kingdom. And that's what Nehemiah did. He said, I'm cut bearer to the king and I'm praying. And his prayer was that he would gain favor from the king to execute his plan. Nowhere do you see. Then God said to Nehemiah, all he was looking for was an opportunity. Look for the opportunity to use your gifts to change the community. Number six, be a part of the answer, not just in word, but in deed. Hate abortion. Ah, it's terrible. Hey, have you ever heard about Embrace Grace? Oh, I don't have time for that. I'm going to post something about this stuff. You didn't want to hear me. Watch me. Jesus is against abortion, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Uh-huh. I told him. Hey, there's Embrace Grace coming. Ah, you know, I don't have time. They need volunteers to help. Is it on Wednesday? Oh. <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> Did not work. It doesn't work on Wednesday. <laughs> Nothing I can do about that. If you really, really see, the thing is, God has given you that burden. He's breaking your heart. You're hating evil. Great. Can you be the solution? Because trust me, not everybody feels what you feel about what you feel at the same level that you feel it. The Bible says the heart knows its own joys and its own sorrows. Who can fathom it? You feel it because you are the ecclesia for it. Number seven. Understand your conduct before leaders helps unlock doors. Understand that your conduct before leaders, before anyone, helps unlock doors. If you treat the girl at Target who's checking you out the same way the world does, you're not being kingdom minded. If your attitude is the same, you take forever. Oh my gosh. We got places to go. but I have the Lord Jesus Christ in my heart. <laughs> and I go to church on Sunday. You'll see me there. Break my heart for what breaks yours. I sang it. But the target girl, she needs to be told what's going on. We need to tell the president what's going on. You are terrible at your job. You need to tell the government, you're bad. We just got bad, bad, bad in there. The world's doing that. We chime in, in. <laughs> along with the world. And then when we ask for favor to take place, it doesn't. Nehemiah's conduct before the king was always right. That when he came with sorrow, the king noticed that, hey, there's something wrong with you. What's up? And he was like, here's my opportunity. He even prayed to God before he spoke. And he said, grant me favor that I might go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Because they had torn down. And the king was like, you can have whatever you want. Now you tell that to the people you've been telling and smearing your face and saying you're terrible and hurting. Then you say, give me a favor. They'll be like, Psh. I don't know you. Number eight, do not be afraid to ask. Do not be afraid to ask. Man, there's a weakness about us sometimes where we are afraid that if we ask for things, it will make us look bad. Don't ask for help. You know, people will suffer for a long time before they can actually say, I, I need help. I can't do this on my own. 
Nehemiah asked. When the opportunity came, he asked. And then he asked the Jewish leaders. He asked the people within his community. Because he wasn't going to build that wall all by himself. Ask. Vulnerability is actually a place of power. My strength is made perfect in Number nine, carry a secret agenda. Carry a secret agenda. When we got to the border of Mexico with our medical mission team, the devil thought he had us. He was like, <laughs> I'm going to take away all your medical supplies. And they started taking away stuff and saying, this is not going to cross. This is not going to cross. And we were disheartened. We were like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. But the Lord was like, <laughs> It's a secret agenda here. The idea is not medical. The idea is to give Jesus Christ to people. Take all the medical supplies you want. We have a secret agenda. Our agenda is Jesus Christ. So when the medical professionals got to Wachanera, they were being able to give people some sort of health advice. But by and large, they were saying Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So take what you want, devil. I have a secret agenda. In my profession, I have something else that I do on the side. We're not allowed to talk about Jesus, but I will tell you this. Prayer may or may not have happened in people's homes because I have a secret agenda. Whatever it is that you're doing in life, you should have a secret agenda. I don't care what the law says. Look for an opportunity to say, I'm going to pray for somebody today. I'm going to minister to somebody. I'm going to tell somebody that the real thing here is not my skill sets. The real thing here is I have a powerful backing behind me, and i got to introduce that to you. So even as I give you this medicine, Father, in the name of Jesus, just bless this person. And they're going to be able to do what they need. Amen. What would you say? I said, it's going to be okay. Because I have a secret agenda. If I'm not on this earth just to build possession, what am I on to this earth to do? Ecclesia. Number 10, build your area. Can I build it all? It's a vast in the church, right? I'm over here. About abortion. Oh, oh, New Song Church. Why is it that you don't care about abortion? You never talk about it. Sorry, that was my valley girl. <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't quite land there, but British accent gone in the way. But, but we get mad at somebody not championing what we're championing. I'm championing this because God has put a burden on me for it, right? So I'm championing it. What? You, you're not doing what I'm doing? Something's wrong with you. Have you read the Bible? Build here. God has called you to build here. Nehemiah put people at different stations and different places and built to build the wall with different skill sets that they had. We all have to play our part to build this thing. Don't look at somebody else and be mad that they're not doing what you're doing. Do what the Lord has called you to do and build it. But then number 11, be aware of the trumpet sound. Be ready to defend all areas. So just because I've been called to be on this part, Nehemiah said when the trumpet sounds, that means we're under attack. That means all hands on deck. We put everything down and we go help wherever the attack is coming. So then don't have that attitude also say, well, I was just called to teach the gospel. I'm not called to lift boxes. I'm not called to clean the commode. That's somebody else's job. You're not hearing the trumpet sound. Hear the trumpet sound. And lay down the tools. Wherever you're constructing. Because an attack on one of us is an attack on all of us. That means we're not able to complete the task. That means we go into our communities to build, we're building these altars. Advancing the kingdom, that means putting altars in people's hearts that they too would advance. When the trumpet sounds, we get up to help. And here's the thing, opposition, ridicule, and shaming means you're on the right track. When people ridicule you or come up against you, that means you're on the right track. And that's what Nehemiah faced. Because you're on the right track. 
right track does not mean everything is going smoothly and great and grandiose. Opposition is there to grow you, is there to help you think and see things that you would not see without it. So the opposition is there for use it to your advantage to build this kingdom. And finally, excuses will never build anything but excuses. Church, I want us to recognize our responsibility and our position here. To see God for who He truly is. That we might see ourselves for who we truly are. I'm going to take a leaf from Pastor Sarah last week when, he, when she had us all pray together. And hold hands. I want us to do the same. I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's a prayer of repentance. To repent on behalf of our community. Because we too have sinned. Nehemiah said, my father's house and I have sinned. He didn't say, they have sinned. He said, my father's house and I. So we want to ask God for forgiveness. And we ask God for his empowerment. Because he is the God who says, if we come to him, he's faithful to answer us. So if we can stand to our feet, hold a hand. as a sign of unity that we are one. we as a church are one coming together acknowledging that we have dropped the baton in some places and we are wanting to grow and be better so pray with me say father thank you that you have placed us in Edmond in Oklahoma City these are our cities they are our responsibility. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for the sins that we have committed, for not listening, for not following through, for wanting to be separate from the world and not acting like we're called to it. Now, Father, as we call on to you, heal our land, show us our path, strengthen us, that we can go into our community and be light bearers. Give us strength. Give us courage. This is the God we serve who gives, who gives good, good gifts. We honor you in Jesus' name. You can return to your spots. I'm going to ask the altar ministry team to come to the front. And here's the main altar call. There's a call on your life. If this is confusing to you, or you have not acted in any way that you are the ecclesia, you have not acted in any way, your church attendance is great and all that is good, but you know that you don't even know the last time you actually ministered to somebody else, even within the church. I'm going to challenge you to come for prayer, to make it personal before the Lord. Have somebody pray with you. That perhaps this morning a spark will come to light and you'll begin to see as God wants you to see. Or if you have any a prayer of any kind, any need that you have, this is the moment, this is the time. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for what you're doing and going to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.